So what's the preaching plan this fall, y'all? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Well, you might recall before I left, I let it up to you to decide. I said you could choose between two. There could be Song of Solomon or Song of Songs and Jonah. And after an overwhelming voter turnout, I mean, like, Dorothy was, we had to, we had to insert another phone. We had to give her another cell phone because you all were blowing up the lines, blowing up the emails with all of what we're going to do. I mean, the votes were so close. So here's what's happened. After a stunning voter turnout, we have two votes for the Song of Songs, two votes for the Song of Solomon. And this one's really interesting. Remember, I told you that if you voted for him, you got to submit your names for obvious reasons. So Leanne and Dentley... Leanne and Denton Finley, where are you? Thank you. They voted for it. There they are in the back. They voted for Song of Songs. Very good, very good. Okay, and then we got one vote for Proverbs. I'm still trying to figure that one out. Jonah, Song of Songs. So we got Proverbs. We got another vote for Hebrews. We got zero votes for Jonah. So here's what I've come to figure out at our church, at least in our church, that democracy is overrated here. You all want a benevolent dictator. I'm your man. I am a benevolent dictator. So what are we going to do? We're doing Song of Songs. Of course we are. Of course we're going to do that. Two reasons. One, because I want to. I'm a benevolent dictator. Two, we need to. We all, we are all inside the church and outside the church so messed up romantically, relationally, sexually. And somebody, somebody needs to talk to us that's not just Netflix. Somebody needs to talk to us that's not just the person that sits next to your fourth grader this year. And God has given us a book where he talks so boldly, you're going to freak out. I'm not, but you might. There will also be a mini-series this fall sometime. You know, we're doing the mini-series now within the preaching series. Um, probably on marriage, probably on same-sex attraction, and probably on gender issues. So we're just swinging for the fence. We're not going to play around. On Wednesday evenings from 6 to 7, now listen, some of you, at 5.30, we're going to eat pizza together, and then at 6 to 7, the adults are going to go here, the kids are going to go to their spots, I'll tell you what we're going to do at 6 to 7, but some of you, coming for pizza at 5.30, if you're able to, if work allows it, and walking into a room and trying to make friends and trying to interact with folks that may know each other to more of an extent, a lesser extent, that that is just daunting to you, and I want to say to you, I'm going to be here, and I want to be your friend. And we can learn to be friends. And I also want to say to you that community and friendship is not natural to anybody, even an extrovert. We have to learn it. It has to be taught to us. It takes hard work to become friends. It takes hard work to build a community. And so I want to invite you on Wednesday nights to do the hard work, to learn how to do it. And then from 6 to 7, we're going to go deeper into the text that we just looked at. We're going to go deeper into the topics that I can't cover all up here. 
We're going to go deeper into romance and deeper into dating and deeper into the reality of sex, deeper into same-sex attraction, deeper into transgender issues, deeper into marriage issues, and we're going to do it together, and we're going to do it honestly, and we're going to do it humbly, and we're going to do it boldly, courageously, bravely, heroically. As a dear friend of mine told me recently, Jeff, we don't get to pick the horrors that come to us and our children through original sin. Some of us think we actually get to pick the horrors we get. You don't. Others of you are going to be so relieved to know that you and those you love never picked the horrors they got. And that should humble all of us, and it should instill a tremendous compassion in all of us and make us be like, hey, we're in this together. Let's figure it out with the grace of God together. And that's what we're going to do on Wednesday night. So we're going to start Song of Songs next week. So what are we going to do today? Well, we're going to briefly, our remaining time here, we're going to look at the tale of two sisters that was inspired by the sisters of the nightingale. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. Uh, this is a reading from Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So, Lord, we acknowledge that uh, this passage is incredibly clear and incredibly disturbing and then overwhelmingly hopeful. And so, Lord, would you shine on the page? Would you grant great clarity to our minds and realness to our hearts? Would you fill us with your spirit? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so most of you know what your fall is going to look like this fall. Most of you already know that because it looked like this way last fall, and it looked like this way the fall before, and it looked that way every fall that you can remember because all your falls are the same. So you know what your fall is going to look like. Uh, you know it's not that Jesus is coming over to your house for dinner or your apartment, but what's going to come over is you know that demands on you are going to come over to your side of the fence this fall. Demands on you are going to rise this fall. You know that your schedule is going to fill up this fall. You know that stress will build this fall. You know that your world will shrink this fall amidst a big Texas sky. 
So here we are at this big Texas sky, but you're going to, as the fall goes on, your world is actually going to shrink. You're going to feel incredibly claustrophobic because of the demands and the pressures and the stress and the filling of your schedule. It's just going to get tighter and tighter, and your world's going to get smaller and smaller, and you know what that's going to be like because it happens every fall. You will be exhausted this fall. You know what your fall is going to be like. You know that people will want more from you this small. You know that people that you care deeply about are going to want more for you, and they're going to be people that you wish would go away are going to want more from you. You won't be able to do more this fall. You won't be able to feel like you are more this fall. You won't be able to do more this fall. You will, you will fail this fall. You will disappoint others this fall, and you will succeed just enough so that you keep going this fall. And then eventually it'll happen. Eventually trouble's going to come this fall, because it always comes eventually. And it's going to come like an intruder and kick down your front door and completely overwhelm you and completely terrorize you and put you into distress and hurt you this fall. Might even trigger some PTSD from the last trouble that kicked your door down. Most of us already know what the fall is going to look like for us. Pathological busyness, exhaustion, stress, and anxiety. Mental health experts are already calling this time that we live in, this age, an age of anxiety. And the Bible says, no, it's always an age of anxiety. Every age is an age of anxiety. Anxiety is us. Anxiety is in your bones. The Bible says that anxiety is the primal, most fundamental human emotion of the human condition. It's who we are. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving. Verse 41, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. So the question is, can we have a different fall? Can you and I, this fall, become different? The text says yes. The text says, hey, look at Mary. She's having a different fall. To change, though, to begin to unlock the power of this passage, to have any kind of hope that we possibly can have a different fall, that we could change as a person in a different fall and actually relate to our life and relate to our relationships differently this fall, that we have to do away with the most common in all of church history. So this is a giant task. The most common interpretation of this passage needs to go away. If it doesn't go away, chances are you will have the same kind of fall. If, this, if it does go away, 
And the original historical message of this text is able to shine forth for you and me. There is power that's released right now and will be released on you right now that will actually change you and me. That we can have a different fall. So here we go. Are you ready? Contrary to popular belief, this passage is not about Martha the activist and Mary the mystic. This is not about Martha, the hard charger, the type A personality, the getter done, the doer, right? The overachiever, the missional type. And then you got Mary, the contemplative, the inner person type. Not getter done, but getter felt. The life of the inner world, the mystic, the non-achiever, not the type A, but the type B personality. And so then the point is, listen, you need to be like Mary. You need to be a mystic. You need to be contemplative and not like Martha. And that interpretation led to, in the medieval age, the rise of mysticism. That interpretation has led within the church, the rising moment of movement of mysticism in the church today. It's everywhere. Now, don't get me wrong. Martha may be type A here. She probably is. And Mary probably is type B, but that's not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is this. It's not about personality styles and traits and moving into one or the other or becoming more like one or the other or the practices or the disciplines that go with one or the other or the relationships and the traits that go with one or the other. This passage, the point of this passage is law and gospel. Some of you are saying, oh, you're going to you're gonna have to prove that, Jeff. Okay. Martha is the way she is. We are the way we are. You are the way you are. The fall is the way the fall is every fall because life is law. The human condition is law. We must be busy. We must measure up. We must prove ourselves. We must perfect ourselves. We must perform. We must please. And we must perfect not only ourselves, but we must perfect our relationships and perfect our children and perfect our friendships and perfect our circumstances and our situations, perfect our career, perfect your bank account, even perfect your vacation. We must work. We must perform. We must be enough. We must do enough. And I, I mean, every, every psychologist and psychiatrist today is on to this. It's like they've just discovered this. This guy, Haight, John Haight, has written this book called The Righteous Mind. He calls it The Righteous Mind because he says it's like in your mind there's an obsession to be righteous. In your mind. Bones, there's this need to be enough and to do enough. Why? Because life is law. The human condition is law. There's a book that was written recently, several years back, that has changed 
the Christian landscape in a way maybe that hasn't been changed in a long time. And the twist of the book was this. There's not just one lost son, there's two. And it changed everything called the prodigal God. And you began to realize that that story that was being told was actually being told to the Pharisees, and that was a game changer. So the story wasn't about this, this bad son. It was ultimately about the good son. Perhaps this passage needs another rediscovery because this passage doesn't sit in isolation with itself. This passage is actually connected to the story that happens right before it. And in the story right before it, we have this lawyer approach Jesus, and he says to Jesus, how do I know I'm enough? How do I know I've done enough? How do I know I'm enough to be loved and accepted, Jesus? How do I know I'm enough to be worthy? How do I know I do enough so that I can live and live well? And Jesus answered by saying, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, well, dude, you answered correctly. Now, don't miss what he says next because what he says next is going to explain Martha. What he says next is going to explain you. What he says next is going to explain the age of anxiety. What he says next is going to get down to the roots of your human condition. And Jesus says, here it is. So do this and live. Life, according to Jesus, is law. The human condition, according to Jesus, is do this, be enough, do enough, and you'll live. And we all wonder why we're so anxious. Every fall is law. Do this, and you'll live. Did you catch what this means? It's pretty daunting pretty terrorizing. Do this and you'll live. So if you are not enough, you don't do enough, you don't get the living part. You get a collapsed life. You get a life that unravels. You get a life that decreases. You get a life that diminishes. You get a life that moves towards what the writer of Ecclesiastes would say is nothingness. If you're not enough and you don't do enough, you move towards meaninglessness. If you're not enough and you don't do enough, you move towards being a non-person. If you're not enough and you don't do enough, you cease to exist. And we wonder why we're so anxious. So can we have a different fall? Can we? 
Can we change from a life of do this and you will live to something else? And Jesus says in the scripture, yes, Mary did. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. That means one thing is needful. One thing is of like absolute importance. There's one thing that if you have the one thing, you have everything. If you have the one thing, anxiety has no place. It's the only safe place on the planet. It's the only safe place in the cosmos. It's the only needful thing there is, and it's called life. And Jesus goes on to say, and Mary, Martha, Mary, she, she chose it. She's got it. It's the good portion. The good portion is sitting at Jesus' feet. Do you see that, verse 39? The good portion and sitting at Jesus' feet is the same thing. And this is absolutely astounding because in the ancient world, the position of the ideal life, the position of the ideal person, the position of where life is most flourishing, the ideal place that you can have at life was sitting at the feet of the Lord or the teacher or the master. Especially in Judaism, it is the ideal disciple, it's the ideal life, it's the ideal person. And Luke scholar James Edward describes Mary as absorbing Jesus' words, absorbing them. She's hearing them and, and she's absorbing Jesus' words. It's being, as he said, absorbed in Jesus' presence. She's, she's at his feet, the ideal person, the ideal life is absorbing Jesus' words. It's actually absorbing his presence. Luther describes Mary as hearing the gospel, hearing good news, hearing grace. He says he describes it as connecting to the person and work of Jesus. Connecting not to the law, not to do this and live, but connecting to it has been done for you, live. Having, having Jesus' worth and his work absorbed into you to such an extent, you've connected with it by faith that you get grace. Not just having information about it, but you actually experience it. Not just getting the understanding down, which is incredibly important, but is now actually having the heat of it, the energy of it, the power of it be real in your life. We could say it this way, this is the way we talk. Mary is at this place, at this time, she is experiencing Jesus with the Bible. That's exactly what's happening with her. She is experiencing, it is done for you, Mary. Now live. But, uh, you know, okay, that's Mary. She's always the hero. I care about Martha. Because Mary, she's the ideal. She's set up as the ideal. That, yep, yep, we'd all like to be Mary. 
wish I was a Mary, but dadgummit, I'm going to get up and I'm going to get it done. Bless you, poor you. Notice what Jesus does not say to Martha. Jesus does not say to Martha, Martha, stop being so dang anxious. Stop it, stop it. Martha, here's five steps to give yourself some peace. Will you take it? Call me in the morning. And he doesn't say, contrary to what many people think, would you please be like Mary? You know what? If he did, he'd be telling her just like he told the lawyer, Mary or Martha, do this and you'll live. He would have gave her law because that's all law. Instead, he goes, Martha, Martha. In the Hebrew world, when you repeat someone's word like that, their name personally twice, you are loving them to life. You are pouring compassion on them in such a way that they move and they shift and they change by what you're doing. Martha, Martha. He continues, you are anxious and troubled about many things. In other words, Martha, let me tell you who you are. Let me explain you to you. This is why you feel the way you feel. This is why you do the way you do. Let me reveal you to you because only I can do that. Only I can help you this way. Only I can give you understanding about yourself. Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. Martha, you're living under the law. You see, when I came, when I showed up, changes everything. That's why Jesus says, but one thing is necessary because now I'm here. And it's the good portion and it'll never be taken away from you. Do you see what Jesus is doing? Jesus, when he shows up, he's now reorienting not only that world and those two human beings, he's now reorienting the rest of the universe for all time. It used to be about do this and live. It's now about me. I'm the good portion. And what he ends up doing is he ends up preaching himself to Martha. He ends up preaching, Martha, I'm the good portion. Do you see, Martha, it's about me. I'm going to do it for you so you can live. So change this fall will come to us, but it's not going to come to us the way we think. First, here's how change is going to happen to you, and it's not the way you think, so I'm just preparing you. It's going to happen to you. First, you're going to be anxious. Oh, gee whiz, great, Jeff. No, you are, because it's in your bones. Life is law. You live in this life. You have it in your bones. And so the issue is not trying to suppress it, fight it, control it. 
because it's too great for you. You can't. And second thing, Jesus, when he finds you and when you find yourself in your anxiety and your stress and your demands and your schedule fills and life starts rolling and you get pathologically busy and everything's going and you're the great achiever and you're carrying everything on your shoulders and it feels good because <laughs> it does feel good. He's going to tell you at that moment in the midst of all of it, he's not going to say to you, stop being anxious. What he's going to tell you is that it's not about you stopping to be anxious. It's about me justifying your anxiety. It's justifying the anxious person. It moves from stop being anxious to God justifies the anxious. It's not about do this and live. It's now about I've done it for you. Live. And Jesus justifies Mary in this passage, and Jesus justifies Martha in this passage, and Jesus justifies every hearer in this passage, every anxious person. He justifies because he did it for you so you could live. So what's happened is you read the rest of the story, we're going to find out how this happens. Doom is going to die because doom, remember the collapsed self, do this and live. Well, we don't do this, so there's doom always overhanging us, and he's going to go and take the doom, and he's going to deal with the doom, and he's going to destroy the doom. He's going to do it so you can live. And then when we look at this passage and look at Luke, because you're meant to read the whole book, when you read all of Luke, what Luke is trying to show for you is that Jesus is actually being the human being we were supposed to be. He is loving God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. He is loving his neighbor as himself. He's doing what the lawyer couldn't do. He's doing what Martha couldn't do and is striving, striving so desperately to do and is so anxious about. He lives the life he, in thought and word and deed. It is done so you can live. And here's what happens. As it is done for you, starts sinking into your life, it starts getting into your bones, you start to live. And instead of your next conversation, instead of when you go up and get up for the day and all the obligations and all the demands that are on you and all your work, instead of all these things being a theater by which you are desperately trying to be enough and do enough, desperately trying to do this and live, Instead, you, you are justified. It has been done for you. Now live. So now you actually engage life like an adventure. And you can be present in the moment because you're meant to experience and simply do the next thing and whatever God has for you in this life. And slowly, you might have a little less anxiety. Anxiety. 